Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. Remember, you can always find us on Sundays streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. I recently learned about a family tradition called the Restaurant Game, started by Kurt Warner, the two-time NFL MVP and Super Bowl champion, and a committed Jesus follower. The night before every road game, Kurt and his wife would take their seven children out to dinner. And once they were seated, one of the children would scan the dining area, looking like a quarterback for potential receivers. When the Warner child picked a table, Kurt asked the waiter to add that table's dinner tab to theirs, all anonymously, of course. And the idea for the restaurant game came to Warner and his wife after Warner had led the St. Louis Rams to Super Bowl victory in the year 2000. They remember the days before Warner's NFL career when Kurt was working a night shift at a grocery store and they only had food stamps to feed their family. And with that in mind, giving became a joyful family tradition for the Warners. We want our kids to grow up knowing that because of football, we're blessed, Warner said. We never want them to lose sight of what is really important. Our circumstances are not the most important thing. It's what we do with those circumstances. I love this story about how Kurt led difficult circumstances shape the tradition that models generosity in a fun and engaging way for their kids. Well, we're in week three of our series, Genetically Generous. And we're talking about how living a life of blessing to others by being who God created us to be, generous people. We've been learning that every single one of us is wired for generosity because we're made in the image of a generous God. If we ask God to take a personality test, generous would be one of his most prominent characteristics. We see this generosity all throughout scripture as he is the God who gives life, the God who provides, and ultimately the God who gave himself on the cross. And we, as human beings made in his image, we're also wired for generosity. To some degree, we can't help being generous because generosity is in our DNA. However, there are some nuances about our unique uh, genetic wiring that we're going to continue uncovering today. To begin, let's turn to a passage in 2 Corinthians 9 where Paul writes to the church at Corinth about generosity. If you go back and read chapter 8 and the beginning of chapter 9, you'll see Paul doing a very delicate work of, of challenging this church to follow through on a financial commitment that they had previously made. He's very intentional in his choice of words because, believe it or not, some people get a little nervous when church leaders talk about money. Now, not you, uh, other people, right? This church in Corinth had promised to send a generous offering to help the impoverished Christ followers in Jerusalem but they hadn't yet followed through. So Paul is sending someone to collect this offering and and he encourages the Corinthians to be ready as he says this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. First, Paul talks about those who sow sparingly and those who sow generously. There's two kinds of people, but both of them sow. Notice it doesn't say those who don't sow. 
again, remember, we're all wired for generosity. So everybody sows. Everybody has a natural inclination to give. We can even see this inclination in humans from the time they're toddlers, right? We all know that toddlers are some of the most selfish human beings on the planet, right? I mean, they're always demanding that everyone around them meet their needs on their timetable. However, it's also true that every toddler has an inclination to give. I mean, I know I've seen this in my own children. I see it in my own boys when they tried to give me, you know, that slobbery, wet Cheerio that they've been squeezing in their hand for so long. Or, or I saw it when they presented my wife, Melissa, with a beautiful flower freshly picked from my neighbor's garden. Larry, if you're watching again, I'm sorry about that. But everybody is born with this inclination to give. Generosity is in our DNA. The question becomes, will we sow sparingly or will we sow generously? That is the choice Paul is challenging each of us to make. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, which means the choice of whether we'll give sparingly or give generously is made in the human heart. Of course, Paul is urging us to give generously, but he says God doesn't want us to give reluctantly or just under compulsion, but freely, willingly, cheerfully. So what does this mean? Well, it means our motivation, it matters. The key to a life of sowing generously lies in our motivation. I mean, think about it. Motivation is key in so many other areas of our life. For example, I like to exercise. I want to be fit. I want to be healthy. But my motivation will determine whether I I get myself to the gym or I sit at home and, and eat pancakes, right? I can exercise sparingly or I can exercise generously. And frankly, it takes a lot of motivation because I really love pancakes. See, motivation is key. And when we're motivated to give, we'll give cheerfully. And and God loves a cheerful giver. In the 14th century, a theologian named Julian of Norwich wrote this. She said, Cheerful givers do not count the cost of what they give. Their hearts are set on pleasing and cheering the person whom the gift is given. You see, when we're motivated to give back to God, we do it cheerfully. This idea that motivation is key to generosity, it it really got us thinking. See, we're all wired for generosity, but perhaps we are motivated in different ways. What might motivate me to give generously may be different than what motivates you. And so we began to ask, could understanding our motivation help us grow in this important area of our spiritual journey and become givers who, who sow generously? Well, last week, we introduced the first three generosity profiles we're able to develop with the help of a community attender who is a successful businessman and also a committed Christ follower, and he also serves as one of our elders on our leadership commission. Maybe when you took that short generosity survey, you came out with one of these as your primary or secondary profiles. Community growers. The primary motivation of a community grower is, is being a part of a community. That one is nice and obviously, nice and obvious. Next is budget keepers. The primary motivation of a budget keeper is to be wise. 
And third were the faith stretchers, whose primary motivation is spiritual growth. Well, today we're going to cover the remaining three profiles. And inevitably, because we love learning about ourselves, we're going to pay most attention to our primary and secondary profile, which is great. But even if the profile I'm talking about isn't yours, it's probably the profile of someone you know or someone you love or or someone that you just maybe don't understand at all. And our hope is that by learning the different ways each of us is wired to be generous, we can grow in appreciation of each other's gifts and, and better understand how we're all working together to build the church. So let's look at the final three profiles, starting with the disciplined doers. Disciplined doers. Any disciplined doers out there? As disciplined doers, you want things right. You're motivated by joyful obedience. To you, the commands in Scripture are life-giving, and the commands about generosity are quite clear, which motivates you to be generous. The more consistently you follow biblical principles, the more aligned you feel with God's ideals for your life. And as you are obedient, you experience the blessing of God's generosity firsthand. Now, this may surprise you, but I think a good role model for disciplined doers in Scripture would actually be Zacchaeus. Not the before he met Jesus version of Zacchaeus, who was a hated tax collector and a dishonest person. The Zacchaeus who sowed sparingly, very sparingly. I'm talking about the Zacchaeus who had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. Once Zacchaeus found his way back to God, it unleashed his joyful obedience. He couldn't wait to make things right. In fact, he went above and beyond what would have been required of him because he found so much joy in doing the right thing. I heard a story recently of a disciplined doer whose name was Albert Lexi. Albert was a shoe shiner for 30 years at the Pittsburgh Children's Hospital. For a long time, Albert charged the same rate, about $5 to buff and shine shoes for the years that lots and lots of patients and lots of customers and lots of families of patients and doctors and lawyers and hospital staff had visited him. But because Albert was friendly and good at his job, he would often get a tip. So when Albert decided to retire, he approached the hospital staff and told them that he had a donation that he wanted to make to the Children's Hospital Free Care Fund, which helps patients that can't afford their medical costs. The hospital asked how much Albert wanted to donate, and he told told them that he had been saving his tips over the years. In fact, Every tip he ever got, he put aside into an account, knowing that when he retired, he wanted to donate everything that was in this fund. Any guesses how much tip money Albert had saved at the end of 30 years? $200,000. I mean, the hospital was, was blown away. Yet, I've been thinking about that number and what's What's so crazy is that Albert never did anything big. He was just disciplined in doing lots of small steps that could accumulate into something bigger and bigger. This is what drives the disciplined doer. You know what's even crazier? I was doing some math. If you were to set aside 10% of your income for 30 years, that an income of, let's say, $60,000, Any idea how much tithe you would have given 
to the church? $240,000. That's even more than what Albert gave to the hospital. I mean, newspapers write stories about that kind of generosity, and yet it happens all the time in the church. When, when we, with the small intentional steps, set aside a small percentage of our income and obediently give back to God, Imagine the difference that that kind of money could make over your lifetime for the kingdom of God. My wife, Melissa, and I have been giving at least 10% of our combined income to the church for all 18 years of our marriage. And while we've never made a lot, when we took a few minutes to add it all up, we were blown away and honestly filled with joy because of what we've been able to give over the years. And it, it made us want to give even more. So let's look at our next profile, the cause movers. How many of you came out as a cause mover? Cause movers are motivated by making a difference. You're drawn to specific causes in the here and the now. You're often the first person to step up when, and be generous when presented with a tangible need. You're relational and responsive to requests for help from people you know and trust. And as cause movers, you like seeing how your giving makes an immediate and observable difference, and you likely are concerned that the organizations you give to will be responsible with the money. When I think of cause movers in the Bible, I think of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the man God used to rebuild Jerusalem and after its destruction. But have you ever noticed how Nehemiah's story begins? His brother had recently been on a trip to Jerusalem, and upon returning, Nehemiah started asking him questions about the condition of the city. And his brother had really bad news. The gates of the city were broken. The, the whole province was in a mess. Nehemiah is so troubled by this that he sits down and he weeps. But then he begins to pray. And at the end of his prayer, we get an important piece of information. He says, I was the cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah is moved, and now he's going to spring into action. He leverages his influence with the king and the resources at his disposal and sets out to build the walls of Jerusalem. I love this picture of a cause mover. Cause movers need a cause. They're looking for a problem in the world to tackle. And when they find it, they hold back nothing. They'll do, do anything to address a cause until a movement takes place. I mean, just, just imagine what kind of things we could do as a church if we were able to activate all you cause movers out there like Nehemiah to lead us in generosity. Last, but certainly not least, the legacy builder. Any legacy builders out there? You are a visionary who looks beyond today to your dreams for the future. This is what motivates you, leaving a legacy. You want your life to count for something both now and after you're gone. If you have children, it's probably important to you to leave behind an inheritance for your kids. But when an organization or cause becomes important to you, You'll make a significant investment both in the present and in long-term planning. You want to leave a mark on the world that's, that's bigger than just yourself. Legacy builders, 
You reflect the image of our generous God when you cheerfully give out of the motivation to leave a legacy. Maybe one of my favorite stories of a legacy builder in the Bible comes from the person of Ruth. Ruth has every reason to walk away from her mother-in-law, Naomi, when her husband unexpectedly dies. Yet Ruth somehow sees the need for a greater legacy. Instead of just choosing to take care of herself, she sees in her mother-in-law's needs a chance for her to invest her life generously in a way that would go well beyond the here and now of the present. Ruth commits herself to Naomi and goes and gets a job in a field. And if you know the story, she scandally approaches a wealthy man in the night to see if he would commit to marry her so that she could generously care for her mother-in-law in her need. What's so beautiful about this is that I know many of you here today, many of you watching here today, or you might find yourself in a similar invitation to, to care for your parents when they're in need. And God blesses Ruth for it, not only by providing her a beautiful marriage to the man she approached, but by providing even greater of a legacy in her future through her great-grandson, David, become the king of Israel. When I think about legacy builders, I actually think about my parents. One of the many legacy building things they did was to set up a college education account for me and my siblings. In fact, they resourcefully saved through the years enough money that they not only helped us get our undergraduate degrees, but they also had funds remaining when I went on to seminary. And I'm able to stand here and, and preach and pastor in this community without debt because my parents generously saw the opportunity of a legacy that could go beyond them. This is the kind of impact legacy builders can have. Now, I hope all of us are encouraged and encouraged to recognize the ways we're wired to reflect our generous God. Every one of these profiles is good. They're all good. And understanding how we are wired can help us leverage our motivation to grow people who sow generously. In fact, here's a little preview of some of our research findings that we're going to look at more deeply next week. In research, we looked at three types of generosity. Financial, how generous we are at giving back to God. Serving, how generous we are contributing our time in and outside of the church. And thirdly, relational how generous we are giving ourselves relationally to people through the blessed practices. What we found is that each profile has tendencies in each of these three areas. Most were strong in some areas, but found other areas more challenging. And that's what this graphic shows. But you're going to have to come back for the rest of the series to learn more about this, to learn more about you and how you're wired. For now, let me encourage you to set your sights on growing in generosity, to be someone who leverages your natural motivation to sow generously, not sparingly. Because when we choose to give cheerfully, we become conduits of the generosity of God. This God who decided to make a difference in your life and in my life. He knew that apart from his love, we were spiritually dead. But being wise beyond all wisdom, he 
he had a plan for spiritual growth to make us spiritually alive. He gave the most generous gift imaginable himself in the person of Jesus, who in joyful obedience went to the cross, sacrificing himself so that you and I could experience being part of a community, the family of God. Through us, he is leaving a legacy as we help more and more people find their way back to our generous God. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Our mission is to help you find your way back to God. And by listening today, you've already taken your first step. And we'd love to help you take a next step in your relationship with God, the church, and the world. It's how we're all embracing the flourishing life that Jesus talks about, a life we call U+. Visit communitychristian.org to take a next step, learn more, give generously, and plan your visit. We hope to see you on a Sunday soon.